Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For a fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, 6 educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including the ones from the past five years, on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Private Tasting Salon, Stone Vertical Epic Tasting with Steve Wagner, Senior Brewmaster of Stone Brewing Company. Spencer Paulison. I'm marketing coordinator for the Brewers Association. Just going to give a quick intro here for this salon. Uh, off the bat, just would say if you could set your cell phones to silent, that'd be great for the duration of the presentation. Saver is brought to you by the Brewers Association. And in addition to Saver, the Brewers Association also puts on the Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado each year, which is certainly highly recommended for any beer enthusiast like yourself. And Brewers Association also publishes craftbeer.com, which is the, uh, the go-to source for craft beer enthusiasts to learn more about beer and everything related to it. We also want to give a thank you to our supporters who help make Saver possible, especially our host supporter, Rhett Ray's Beverage Group. And another housekeeping item to mention as well is that if you'd like to listen to this or any of the other salons that take place here this weekend at Saver, you just check out craftbeerradio.com and they'll have those posted after the event concludes. And you can listen to them uh, at your convenience, at your home computer. And so without further ado, I'm very happy to introduce to you Steve Wagner. He is the president and co-founder of Stone Brewing Company in Escondido, California. Steve founded the the brewery with Greg Cook in 1996, and it's uh, one of the fastest growing and high, highest rating breweries in the world. It produced close to 150,000 barrels of beer last year, and that made it the 11th largest craft brewery in the United States. He's also a co-author of The Craft of Stone Brewing Co., Liquid Lore, Epic Recipes, and Unabashed Arrogance. So today, Steve will be talking to us about the Vertical Epic Program, which started in February 2002 with the Stone 222 Vertical Epic Ale. So they do a new beer each year, one month and one day after the previous year's beer was released, and the series is going to culminate this year in 2012 in December. So without further ado, I'm happy to introduce to you Steve Wagner of Stone Brewing. Thank you very much, everybody. It's really a, a treat to be here. How many, uh, is this first saver for anybody here? Oh, good. I'm not the only one. This is the first time I've been. Um, how about first salon? First salons? So who's been to a salon before? You guys have? All right. If I start going off track, you guys can help me, uh, help me stay focused, right? All right. Uh, well, I'm going to start out by telling a little bit of uh, my story and how I ended up here tonight. Uh, I was actually born in the Chicago area. And uh, my parents both went to Northwestern University, uh, moved to California, the Los Angeles area, when I was about 10 years old. Uh, my dad took a job with Mattel Toy Company. It was pretty cool for a 10-year-old kid. Uh, got lots of cool toys that they never released. You know, like when Jaws came out, they did this fake shark fin that was motorized that could go around in the water. But uh, I think legal decided that wouldn't be a good toy to release at that time. So um, it was a, uh, a great childhood. I grew up there. I, I, uh, Went to college at UC Santa Cruz. Any fighting banana slugs here tonight? Yes! Finally! I say that every every time I speak, and there's never any anybody from UC Santa Cruz. We got we got a fellow slug tonight. 
Fantastic. Uh, let's see, I was an English literature major and uh, fell in with a group of musicians after college. Uh, so I ended up being a professional musician for about uh, 15 years or so. And uh, I was in a uh, very obscure band called The Balancing Act. And if you have 25 cents, I think you can get one of our CDs on eBay. Don't overpay for it. That should include shipping too, I think. But. Um, actually, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great experience. We did get to make a few records and got to tour the U.S. and some of Canada and uh, really enjoyed that. And actually, there's a lot of parallels between making music and making beer, I think, you know, that creativity. But, you know, in music, there's sort of the, the math side of it and brewing, there's the science side of it. And uh, I love that combination. So that's part of what got me into brewing. Uh, and music also led me into brewing because I was in a band with a guy who made his own beer. And uh, he invited me over one day to do some home brewing with him. And uh, like I often do, I get obsessed by things. And uh, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And started home brewing and reading everything I possibly could about brewing. And uh, eventually, as my lucrative music career slowed down and I was uh, uh, planning to get married to my lovely wife, Laura, who's here tonight back in the corner, I decided maybe I need a more secure way to make a living here. So uh, I was really excited about this uh, brewing beer. And so we ended up moving up to Portland, Oregon. And I took a job brewing for uh, Pyramid at that time uh, in Kalama, Washington. And we lived in Portland for a while, brewed there. And uh, before we, we did that, actually, I was, as I was educating myself about brewing, I went to some UC Davis extension classes in uh, advanced home brewing and sensory evaluation of beer. And I was there on a weekend at this class, and I look across the room, and I recognize this guy. I go, wait a minute, that's my rock and roll landlord, Greg Cook. And he actually had a rehearsal, music rehearsal studio space in LA that my band rented, rented space from. Uh, I didn't know him that well, as he tells the story. We didn't know each other that well because my band actually paid its rent on time. But uh, we were acquaintances, and I saw him across the room, and we talked at a break. and. Uh, they had for the sensory evaluation class they said bring your home brews and we'll taste them and we'll evaluate them and uh, see what we think of them and uh, I had brought some of my brews and he tasted it and uh, was really impressed with it and he said we got to start our own brewery and I said yeah we do so so I moved up to the northwest got a little hands-on experience wanted to make sure it was something that I could really commit myself to fully and I just loved it I loved the work of brewing uh, I loved beer and everything about it so Finally came time to either uh, do it or forget about it, so we, we uh, decided that we would start a brewery in San Diego. I think uh, my wife and I didn't want to move back to Los Angeles after having lived there for years, but uh, San Diego seemed like a pretty cool place. My brothers went to UC San Diego, so I knew it a little bit, and uh, we were able to find some suitable industrial space and started Stone in uh, 1996. Our first beer was our Stone Pale Ale, our flagship beer. Um, and it uh, kind of grew and went a little crazy from there. Another hobby run out of control. But uh, it's been a, a fun ride. We'll have our 16th anniversary this summer. And uh, so I'll talk now a little bit about the Vertical Epic series. So we, uh, we came out with a, uh, some special release beers that we do every year. You know, sort of relatively the same recipes. Maybe we'll tweak them a little bit. We do an Old Guardian barley wine, our Stone Imperial Russian Stout. Uh, we do an anniversary beer every year that's different. We do uh, 
Um, and we do the Double Bastard every year, so that's kind of our special release lineup. But we were looking to do something different than those and kind of in between. And also at that time, and this was in, uh, I think, late 2001, we were thinking we'd like to experiment with some Belgian beers, you know, really. I've always been big fans of Belgian beers, so uh, Greg came up with this crazy idea of the Vertical Epic Ale series, and uh, we would release a different beer every year, you know, one year, one month, and one day later. Um, of course, we should have started on 01, 01, 01, but we didn't think of this until November of 01, I believe, so <laughs> we're a little late to that party, but we said, oh, what the heck, let's do it, and so it'll give us a good excuse to mess around with some different Belgian styles and, you know, put our own twist on them and have some fun. Uh, so because we thought of it so late, we didn't have much time to uh, make very much of the 020202 vertical epic. So has anybody in this room ever had that beer? Yeah. Yeah, you have. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, uh, we were only able to make a few hundred cases of that, and so I think there's about as much chance of getting a bottle of that as the uh, Congress passing a transportation bill before the election. But uh, um, we are going to have some type of, we haven't come up with the exact details, but we're going to have some type of celebration, big party at Stone to, you know, the idea with this vertical epic series is collect them all, and then December 12th, 2012, we uh, get together and taste them all at the same time and see how the different beers have aged. So we can consider tonight a little bit of a sneak preview of that. We're going to try some of the beers that actually I haven't had in a while, some of these, the uh, 06 and 07, it'll be interesting to see how they're progressing. And um, yeah, well, I think with that, it's getting warm in here and maybe we should have a beer. So we're going to lead off with the, uh, the 06, 06, 06 Vertical Epic. Actually, can I take any questions? Any questions about the uh, Vertical Epic series or anything? We are pouring the Ruination 10th anniversary at our table. That's a good question. The gentleman asked if we brought any of the Ruination 10th anniversary. That is one of the two beers that we are pouring at our table down on the floor. So this is actually the first public release of it. So uh, you guys will get to try it first tonight. So. <laughs> it's uh, a special 10-year anniversary of our Ruination IPA. It's 10.8% uh, alcohol, and it's, uh, you're not going to believe this, but it's heavily hopped, and it's, uh, it's pretty tasty. So we're also, uh, yes, sir? What are your thoughts about the dating of beer? The dating as far as code dating? Uh, I think it's a good idea. You know, I mean, so many beers that craft brewers make, particularly the really hoppy beers, are generally better when consumed fresh, and I think people need to know about that. So, you know, we co-date all of our bottles, um, except for some of the special releases that are designed to sell for a while, you know, we don't really put a date on those, but um, particularly our core beers, you know, our Stone Pale, Stone IPA, Smoked Porter, Arrogant Bastard, Ruination, Levitation, all those, we definitely feel strongly about co-dating them. Mike's a little hot, okay. <laughs> uh, any other questions right now as we get this beer poured? All right. So uh, it gets hard for me to keep track of all these vertical epic beers and what we did with them, so sometimes I have to cheat and use my notes to remind myself. But uh, so this is the 06, 06, 06 that we're pouring. This was actually the, uh, the last vertical epic beer that our head brewer, Lee Chase, at the time did this, uh, designed this recipe. Um, I was the brewmaster and designed all of our core beers in the early years, but the Vertical Epic series was kind of the first 
uh, the first of our beers where I sort of let go and said, all right, let some of the other brewers design some of these beers and have some fun with it. So it's a relatively simple recipe, actually. I mean, it's just uh, some pale malt, some uh, carafa debittered dark malt, and some uh, dark wheat malt in it with some minimal hopping and uh, a Belgian Trappist yeast strain that we got from, from White Labs. So compared to a lot of the other vertical epics where we go crazy and put lots of different stuff in them, this one's fairly clean and simple recipe. All right, I think we should taste it. Yeah, it's still holding up pretty well. Did you get a taste, Bill? <laughs> it's, uh, yes, sir. You know, that's a good question. We, uh, we started out trying to taste them every six months and putting the notes on our website so we'd let people know if we thought something was turning, it was time to drink it, but uh, we've been a little too busy lately to do that. <laughs> so you just got to check them, I think. But, you know, the 12, 12, 12 will be a perfect uh, time to catch up with all these beers and see how they're, they're faring. Uh, we haven't run into any of them so far that, you know, have, uh, you know, have turned or passed their peak where we feel like, oh, people should drink this now. So, so far, they're all hanging in there. Um, so, yeah, it's nice. You get definitely get some of the uh, chocolatey notes right up front from the, uh, the carafa malt. A little bit of that spiciness from the yeast. Some of the, a little bit of clove in the finish. What do you guys think? It's hanging in there, huh? This is uh, Dr. Bill Sysak, my trusty sidekick over here. He's our craft beer ambassador. He... Uh, we hijacked him from the brewing world and got him to work at Stone, so he's a consummate beer taster and pairer. So uh, I'm going to pull him over here to talk a little bit about uh, the beer and what, what foods might pair with it. Hey, everyone. So uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm not a doctor, but I was in the military. I was a combat medic, so I got nicknamed Dr. Bill. I've not been able to get away from it in my 25 years in the medical field. But basically, I was the grandfather of all beer geeks. My dad started me on my first Anchor Steam 35 years ago this summer, believe it or not. And so by the time I was 18, we had a room in our house that had over 3,000 bottles of beer, mainly imports, of course, because that was 1980, and there weren't a lot of craft breweries. matter of fact, Ken Grossman was just starting up his, and Jack McAuliffe had New Albion, which soon came defunct after that, which I was able to try. So uh, I've been known for another thing, which is having one of the largest private sellers in the world. I've had over 2,500 beers for the last 30 years. So I'm a huge aficionado of that. So touching back on how long will this beer last? Five to ten years easily. You notice it's slightly dry. We're not picking. It's six years old already. Okay, look at that. It's six years old. It's very clean. The, the, there's not a very vinous note. A lot of times when you get into the big uh, dark malt characteristics, you start to get this whiny characteristic, and you get a lot of oxidation. You hardly pick up any oxidation in this beer. So it's very nice. It's a very enjoyable beer. Um, what I do at Stone is I basically go out and speak at events and do different things. I also run a series called Master Pairings, where I pair really extreme foods and beers, and I like to go outside the norms of what the standards are. Um, this beer is really fantastic. This beer is great. If you don't know, when you're tasting a beer, how many of you guys know that 90% of all flavor is aroma? 
Do you guys know that? Anybody not believe me? If you don't, try your favorite Snickers at the 7-Eleven, plug your nose, and take a bite. It'll taste like chalk. When you unplug your nose, it'll be delicious once again. So um, definitely you have these olfactory glands where you pull in retro and oral nasally, bring it up in there, and you get all these characteristics that go down into your palate and make you salivate for what you're tasting. It works great with beer, wine, spirits, anything, even your Starbucks coffee. Try it tomorrow be fabulous. What you want to do is take a couple small sips when you're trying something new. First sip, pull it in, swish it around. That cleanses your palate from the beer you just had, the cigarette you just smoked, the gum you just chewed. Second sip, part your lips, pull air over it. Kind of do the... That opens your palate. And then the third flavor will give you the true taste of what you're drinking. So if it's a really hoppy beer, it won't be as hoppy or bitter. If it's a really sour beer, it won't be as tart. A big Cabernet won't be as tannic. Uh, even like a great uh, Isla whiskey won't be as uh, peaty. So, and like I said, it works even with your Starbucks coffee. That third sip's going to be your best. So this beer is fabulous. Now, if any of you guys, does anybody not like this beer? And it's okay if you don't. I was going to say, we have these beautiful silver... Uh, champagne buckets are actually supplied for your dumping, but what I do recommend is you look to your left, look to your right, see if anybody wants it before you dump it out, okay? Because <laughs> uh, it is a six-year-old beer and very, very rare. So this beer is fabulous. It actually will go with all kinds of things. Anybody have an idea what you would think to pair this with? A rice pilaf, that'd be interesting. I like the spice connotations, the carafa malts. Um, beer is great. I, I, I pair wine also. Don't listen to this, Steve. I pair, I pair spirits. I just did an 11-course tequila dinner uh, last year. That's fun. You could pair anything, but beer is by far the most versatile of anything to pair. Beer has carbonation, which is scrubbing bubbles, as Garrett Oliver says. It, it cleanses your palate. It has bitterness, which cuts through the best fat, the richest proteins, things like great meats or cheeses. It has sweetness, which handles the hottest heat, and it has caramelization, which matches that Maillard reaction that you get when you grill meats and vegetables that work really beautifully. Um, another great thing, how many of you guys like spicy food? There's a reason why sushi, Indian restaurants, Chinese restaurants, Thai restaurants have really clean, crisp pilsners with a little bit of bitterness. Because if you do a great IPA with something very spicy, it, it, it subdues it on the front and mid palate, but it leaves a nice, long, lingering heat. So this will go, it'll probably go very nice with the rice pilaf. I would love this with a great New York steak. It would go deliciously. Think about an espresso rub pork loin. That'd be fabulous. It'll also go great with aged cheeses. Think about cheeses that have some crystallization in them, like an aged Gouda, an aged Parmesan, an aged cheddar. All those would go fabulously. Of course, it's got dark malt, so it's going to go great with desserts. It's not overly chocolatey like a lot of stouts and porters, but, and not overly sweet. So this would go great with some tar toffee and caramel notes. It'll also go great, believe it or not, with something along the lines as a, a rich apple pie with some uh, great little bit of cheese on it maybe and some nice vanilla ice cream. So like I said, beer's very versatile. You can try all kinds of crazy things. But uh, I think Steve and Greg have done a great job. I've collected all these beers back when I was a fan. I met Steve and Greg basically their first anniversary party. I was like, yeah, cool new brewery at Stone, doing great things. So I was a huge fan, so I went down there. I lived in Orange County at the time, which it's basically like 70 miles north of San Diego. Um, 
and it's just a really enjoyable experience working for Stone. But these beers are amazing. I, the 02022 was the one beer I doubted when I started drinking these because it seemed a little bit of lighter. But I've actually opened one in the last year. Uh, I didn't sell it on eBay for $575 or whatever they're going for. And uh, it still held up great. And everything since has been amazing. I think you're going to love these other three beers. They've gotten more and more creative. And like I said, all of them are good to last five to ten years. But feel free when 12-12-12 comes around, if you have any in your cellar, to just go ahead and go crazy and try them. Because they're all going to be great. Sorry, Steve. I talk a lot. No, that's all right. That's good. Yes? Uh, well, a lot of it has to do with hopping. You know, this isn't a very hoppy beer. I mean, in general, beers with dark malts and a little higher alcohol, I think this is 8 8.5% or so, uh, tend to age better. You know, something with a real uh, hoppy aroma and flavor, you know, something that we dry hop, for instance, those are the beers that tend to not age as well and go away pretty fast. You know, the hop character fades. It can... Uh, it can turn to, into a beer that wasn't what we intended, you know, over over several months. Um, of course, there's always exceptions to the rule. Our, what was it, our 14th anniversary, the Imperial IPA? Uh, Mitch and I designed that recipe kind of based on an English, uh, historical English IPA. And for some reason, that beer, I mean, that was heavily dry hopped, but that beer has aged in a really cool way. I mean, it's still really good. So good that it just carries the yeah, and that's almost two years old at this point, so. Um, you know, there's no hard and fast rules, but in general, uh, dark, darker, stronger beers will sell her better. We've done, uh, with our Stone Imperial Russian Stout now, we've done 10-year vertical tastings for a couple of years because we have that many years of them, and they, gosh, they just taste fantastic. <laughs> the good news is Greg was a beer geek also, so he definitely... He, he definitely said, Steve, let's age, the, archive these beers, because when Greg and Steve started... You know, that wasn't a common practice, excepting for a couple English breweries. Uh, like I said, I've had a cellar forever. I've had beers that are 55 years old. I've tasted beers that are over 100 years old. And I have many, many beers in my cellar that are 5 to 10 years old. So really fast, hard rules of dark beers better than light beers. Bottle condition, even better, and 8% or stronger, unless you're talking sour beers. Then you have a whole nother field, and really well-made sour beers last. What happens is as all the different flavors drop out, like the hops and different things, because believe it or not, our Imperial Russian Stout, which is a huge 10.5% big classic example of this style, has how many IBUs in it, Steve? Uh, it's pretty low. I mean, it's... Is well, that, no, no it's I think like it's pretty 80 high. 80 or something? Yeah, it's 80 for yeah. an Imperial Stout. That's pretty high. That's higher than a lot of IPAs. The Rue Nation 10th has 122 yes. or something. You guys all, I'm going to task every one of you to go try Rue Nation 10 when we go downstairs because it's amazing. <laughs> I called it when I first tasted it. I was so excited. I go, a stone IPA for the 21st century. It's so amazing. So I think you guys are all going to dig it. But, yeah, those are kind of the hard and fast rules, and they'll work really well. I have West Mall triples that I've had for 20 years that are amazing, but I also have a lot of great dark beers. And, like I said, the hops drop out. If you have a big double IPA, you might get lucky like we did with the 14th and have a beer where the hops drop out and it kind of turns into a barley wine, but it definitely changes. So the hoppier, more bitter a beer, you want to drink it fast, put it in your fridge. But if it's big, over the top, and has a big malt background, age away. Get enough so you can try them, and try them every six months, and then you'll know. It's just like wine. When it goes over the top, you go, oh, better drink all those bottles. <laughs> have everybody over. Have a party. All right. Thanks, Bill.
So uh, we're going to move on to the next one, the 07. So I, I mentioned that we only made a few hundred cases of the 020202. Of course, as we've, we've grown and our capacity has increased, we, uh, we've been able to make more of the beers every year as we go. And I think this year we're doing, I think, 20,000 plus cases of the 121212. So that one should be, be good. A, a little bit easier to find in December when it comes out. Are you going to tell them what style it is? No. Fair enough. All right, I won't either then. It's not, it's not absolutely for sure yet. We're still, we actually just finished up the I have my fingers crossed on where they're going with this. Uh, so the 070707, this was uh, kind of based on a Saison style, one of our favorite styles. Uh, we used actually a blend of a couple of different Saison yeasts and a, uh, a Belgian ale yeast with it. And, uh, you know, Saison's also often have some fruit and some spice to it. So we used a little bit of uh, ginger and cardamom in this one. And then we also used grapefruit peel, orange peel, and some lemon peel in this beer. So I'm expecting it to be pretty citrusy with some uh, nice spicy notes from the yeast. And I will join you guys as soon as I get a pour up here. Don't forget us. <laughs> Sorry? The alcohol on this one is, I think it's an eight. There, everything we're tasting tonight is all in the mid eights range, eight four, eight five, except for the uh, ten, 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 which I right. think is uh, nine, nine, a little over nine, because like of the it. the uh, wine grapes in it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need one. Are there any more? So these are coming out a little cold. You may want to warm it up in your uh, glass a little bit to really release more of the aromatics. But. The O3 is delicious right now. Yes. Yeah. You're going to be very happy when you have it. Um, they're all working really well. Yeah, this is a little cold. Um, you know. It's not their fault. They had to chill them down for us. But if, it, if I can tell you anything from my 35 years experience, when you go to a place and they've got really nice beer and they serve you a chilled glass, say, no, thank you. <laughs> uh, pint glasses are great, and they're great for beers that you don't want to necessarily age. So they work really well with IPAs, pale ales, things like that, or, even or smoke porter. But when you get aged glasses, if they want to serve you in a pint, unless you're getting a deal because you're getting 16 ounces instead of 8 ounces, ask for even a wine glass. Anything with a curve, it brings out the aroma more. It lands on your palate differently, but it allows it to warm up. I, I drink at home. I have some disgusting amount of glasses, like 1,100. Uh, my wife's like really get rid of these um, but a lot of times I drink out of a cognac snifter because it just has such a perfect balance for swirling nosing and enjoying so these glasses from uh, Spieglau are beautiful and they work really well but we just need to warm up the spear a little bit Wow, that's, I, I really get the, uh, the lemon in the front, don't you? I mean, it's really citrusy, lemony in the first taste, but it, it's got that cardamom in the finish that kind of, uh, it almost substitutes for a hop bitterness type of thing. It's really cool. Yeah, Still great tastes. spices, especially peppery spices, things like that go really well, and they replace a lot of hop bitterness. Who, who would think of anything to pair with this beer? Pork loin. Pork loin will work. Um, 
Think of this spear. Uh, big saisons work really well with a lot of things, including fish. Like how many of you guys, you know, you hear that old thing, white wine, white with fish. Yeah. You know, Pinot Noirs are the best thing in the world to have with salmon, for example. So this is something that will cross those boundaries. It'll go really well with um, something like a, a great salmon. An oily fish will work really well with this. This will also work really well with shellfish. It'll go great with lobster tail, um, things like that, crab. Uh, I definitely like this with stinky cheeses. Ah, it's a marriage made in heaven for that. And then um, you can get crazy with this. You can do a lot of different comfort foods and things. You want to go away from the richer, darker gravies and stews, but this will go really well. This is this is like a breakfast beer for me. I would have this with uh, an omelet. I would have this with my strawberry yogurt and fresh berries. I, I would have this with a, a, a bagel with cream cheese, and it'd all go great. <laughs> that sounds good. Fish tacos would be beautifully, and especially Hillcrest. Uh, yeah, they'd go, uh, they'd go great. Um, normally, I like something uh, with uh, a little more bitterness to handle the heat that goes on the fish tacos. But then again, I don't just do the white sauce. I do the spicy salsa on top of it. So yeah, this would be beautiful. Or Kelly Belgique, for example, is great with that because it has that hot bitterness, but it has this little bit of funky yeastiness from Belgian ale strain that they use that goes beautifully with it also. As it warms up, I'm getting more of the ginger coming out in the nose, and it's it's amazing how it still tastes really, yeah. or, you know, fresh and alive for five years old. I mean, this is a five-year-old beer. Yeah, I mean, really that's good. what people just don't understand. I have I have winemakers all the time come over to my house, and they're like, "You have old beer?" <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, I remember in. Uh, I want to say it was right around the time Steve and Greg were opening, like '96, '97. Steve Grossman, Ken's less famous brother, who's been the Southern California sales rep for Sierra Nevada forever, was at a, a dinner at BJ's restaurant. And uh, I, brought, I was so excited because he was coming. First time I met him, I go, I got 10-year vertical of Bigfoot I'm bringing, a 10-year vertical of Celebration. And the first thing he looked at me, he goes, you age our beer? What's wrong with you? And he goes, those are made to be drunk fresh. And then after he had a few bottles, he was like, Oh, I see. So I like to feel I have this little part somewhere about them making vintage beers now and aging their beers. But, yeah, no, this beer is amazing. Five years old and is vibrant. Uh, it's different than the day it came out, but it's really vibrant and enjoyable, and it's just amazing. And one thing I didn't... The day it came out, how was it when it came out? You know, I think it's actually, I think it's better now. I mean, the, the flavors are really melding together a little bit. The... Uh, the ginger and the cardamom were a little heavy when it first came out, you know, a little in your face, and it's, uh, I think it's more of a... Historically, the reason to age beer is because there the, all the flavors will join together. Um, so you, a lot of times when you get these big beers, you'll go, ooh, that's hot. It has that fusel alcohol note, and you go, it's over the top. It may have too much malt. It may have too much spice characteristic. And as you age them, it's exactly what happens. It melds together and becomes a beautiful marriage of all the flavors. And then as it warms up, you start to catch all these flavors. And it's really exciting because you start out and you go, oh, that has some cool lemon. Oh, now I get the ginger now that Steve said that. Now I get the cardamom. I get the finish. And so they're still all there, but it's just a really enjoyable beer, and you still get all those characteristics, and that's what's really fun about it. 
One thing I didn't mention in the making of these beers, we do bottle condition all of the uh, Vertical Epic Series, too, so that, that certainly helps them with uh, cellaring. You know, we put a little... Actually, in the, in the earlier years, I think through 2006, we would put some, uh, we'd introduce some yeast into the bottle at bottling so that it would undergo another fermentation and, um, you know, basically consume the air out of the bottle to help it age better and add a little bit uh, more natural carbonation. Now we actually use some fermenting wort that we put in as we're packaging it instead of the yeast, and uh, that's kind of the same effect, but it definitely allows it to age better. One yes? More Absolutely. Uh, well, everybody has their opinion. You know, I like, I mean, a cellar temp, you know, I think is ideal. I mean, the important thing is to not let the temperature change. I mean, that's almost more important than the temperature that you store it at. You know, you don't want it going up and down and varying over time because that's hard on the beer. But for me, it's a, you know, I, I store all my beers at a wine storage locker that I rent that's very far from my house, so I don't drink a really nice, <laughs> so I don't drink my O2, O2, O2 bottle with a uh, Trader Joe's pizza on a Tuesday right. night, you know, so... <laughs> Steve's much smarter than I have. About I have about 2,000 bottles in my garage, and I have about 500 off-site. Um, Steve's absolutely right too. Cellar uh, temperature, think red wine cellar temperature, perfect for these. Although I was known 20 years ago, I had people would come over my house and I go, "Oh, you have all these cool beers in this cooler," and then you have. Uh, beers in this closet and then they go in the bathroom and they'd open up under the sink and they go oh my god you got these old lambics in there because what I used to do is I used to take different thermometer readings and check humidity in different parts of the house and I played I literally studied this and I said okay this one's at 68 degrees this one's at 60 degrees on average throughout the year and this one's at 55 and I'd see how they'd age differently and I found the different ways I like it Steve's absolutely right the biggest culprit is extreme temperature changes. It's getting that beer out of the cooler that you want to age and then taking it and forgetting, oh God, I left that beer in my car yesterday and it's in the summertime. And then you break out something, you put it in your where you're going to age it. And then all of a sudden you're having a party and you go, I'm going to throw this in the cooler and it's left over. And then you go back and cellaring it. That's what does damage to it. But I will say one of the things that I found over all my years experience is Craft beer is much, much, especially ageable craft beer, is much, much more versatile than brewers think. I actually keep a lot of my beers at 72 degrees, believe it or not. The key is it ranges from 73 degrees to 68 degrees year-round, so there's not those fluctuations. But I like a lot of beers to age, speed up the aging process, especially big 10, 11 you know, if we're talking Sam Calgione, then 15, 18% beers, you know. I like to speed up the aging process in a lot of those beers. And so that's what really makes it beautiful is watching it grow and just monitoring it and then drinking it when it's at the right time. So that's the whole fun thing about cellaring. Uh, if anybody's interested, I'll definitely leave some cards here, and you guys can always contact me. That's one of the things I do is talk to people all around the world about different things, food, cellaring, things like that. So please feel free to grab one and contact me at your leisure. Yeah, question back there. Really, the humidity only affected. I, I first, obviously, when I first started out, there weren't a lot of craft beers out there when I first started cellaring 30 years ago. So what there were, I had a lot of Belgian ales that I aged, and a lot of the Belgian ales had corks in them. And so what you find is humidity will affect the cork. What you, how many of you guys drink wine? It's okay to hold your hand up. Okay. Um, Steve and I both love wine. Don't tell Greg. Um, 
You guys ever notice on the corks where the wines kind of bled up on the sides? That's from extreme temperature change. What happens is it gets really hot, it gets really cold, the cork shrinks, wine comes up, and it, it slides up along the cork and stuff. So it's, it's just important with the humidity because you have to be careful, especially in the early days because a lot of the corks weren't of good quality. They were, uh, you know, uh, composite corks, those kind that crumble around all, and they have little bits and pieces of corks pressed together. So just like anything else, it's just really important if you have your corks to do that. Now, if you're going to, I know wine you lay down, but I actually stand up my corked bottles because the average corked beer is not going to last more than 10 years. And to be totally honest, my 50-year-old Bordeaux in my uh, cellar needs to be on its side, needs to keep the cork wet. A 10-year-old uh, Belgian quadruple doesn't need to keep the cork wet that was made in uh, 1999 because the cork was of good quality and I'm not going to keep it for 30 years, probably. Okay. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> It'll get drunk, I'm sure. All right. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, it depends. I mean, we always do pilot batches of, uh, you know, any beer that we're intending to brew. Uh, sometimes we get it pretty close and we decide, well, we can make a couple tweaks for the big batch and we'll be fine. Other times we send them back to the drawing board. You know, we let all our brewers compete and anybody can do a pilot batch for any one of these beers and, you know, whatever we like the best we'll do. Or sometimes we'll mix and match, take a few elements from this one. You know, we like this idea, but we like this base beer and we'll, we'll mix them up that way. Um, it's, it's much more of a collaborative group process than it was in the beginning when I was kind of doing it all. So. Do you usually only do one pilot and then decide to go, or do you tweak Well, these, you know, no, it's, uh, you know, it can go both ways. Sometimes, as I said, it's one round of pilots. We'll, we'll let anybody do it for a round. So we'll sit down and taste, you know, maybe five or six of our brewers. We'll, we'll do a batch, and we'll taste them all. Um, you know, these days we get more people involved doing that. So we'll, we'll taste them all. We'll say, okay, we like this idea the best and then anybody, anybody who wants to can do another version of that you know we'll kind of try to refine it so it's usually two or three rounds before we're ready to to do the the big batch um but you know it's it's been different for all of our beers i mean stone pale ale we were starting the brewery i had time to work on a recipe for a long time stone ipa that was i never did a pilot batch for it that was first on our 30 barrel system at uh in san marcos and it hasn't changed since that day so It's pretty wide open, you know. We we don't. I mean, we're trying not to repeat ourselves or do things similar to what we've done. So we like a variety of things, and uh, you know, we do dark beers, we do light beers, we do use different yeast strains, and that's kind of the the whole idea. What the Vertical Epic series is for us to have a chance to have some fun and experiment and do different things. So. Yeah, I think there has, the question was, was there, uh, you know, were there some pilot batches where we said, well, maybe we'll save that one for next year, we'll think about that one. There have been, there have been ones like that where we said, you know, we like this one better, but this one's really good, and we'll mess around with that one some more, and maybe we'll use it next year. Yep, absolutely. Uh, right now, we just have a 15-gallon system that we pilot on, believe it or not. It's a, you know, it's a, a brew-your-own type of homebrew system. Um, we're very excited because we uh, got National Park Service approval last week 
so we can move forward on our new restaurant that we're opening down in the Point Loma area of San Diego. It's the old Naval Training Center, so it's historical buildings. So we've been hung up about eight months trying to get approval for what we want to do with the historical buildings. We finally got it, and our brewers are very excited because we're going to have a 10-barrel system in that restaurant that will become our pilot system effectively and be able to you know, do a lot of experimentation and create some special beers. So everybody's very excited about that. Yes, ma'am. Good. The hotel. When is the hotel opening? Uh, you know, we've pretty much finished up the design of it. We are right now. We're fast tracking our packaging hall. We're building another uh, building next, another warehouse next to our brewery because at this moment we're installing a second brew house in our brewery, and we're going to relocate our packaging operations to the new building, which we're hoping to break ground next week on, uh, and hoping it'll be done by the end of the year. We've got a brand new bottling line. Uh, arriving first quarter of next year, we'll get up and running. So I'm I'm guessing because of all the projects we have now that the restaurant is a go and we're doing the packaging hall, we probably won't break ground on the hotel till first quarter of next year, and that'll probably be spring of 2014 till it opens. I'm guessing. So, thank you for asking. Though. I'm not sure. You know, we're debating that internally. The uh, the check-in counter will be a bar where you you'll get handed a beer yes. as you check in. You know, Walk we'll into have, the bar. We'll have taps at the uh, the check-in counter. But uh, I'm very excited about that. <laughs> so I'm here to interpret a couple things. Uh, yes, Greg, uh, Steve, and the brew team, all the brewers, and Steve, of course, was our first master brewer. They decide all these different beers, and then they let Greg taste it, and that always throws a monkey wrench in it because <laughs> Greg has his own ideas. So that's one thing that uh, happens quite often. And then the hotel, I have no comment on that other than I'm very excited about that. That's going to be great. Before I moved down, I used to drop, commute 75 miles each way. I had dreams of having a penthouse suite there, uh, but then they finally talked me into moving down by the be the brewery, so now I'm a mile away. So Especially I, with all the beer and wine he has to taste every day. It's yeah, like so shouldn't be driving. It's quite convenient for that. So what would you guys pair this with? What? Okay. Yeah, exactly right. This is bigger and bold. It'll hold up against gaming meats. Buffalo, elk, venison. Venison chili would be great with this. And a sous vide elk tenderloin with a cinnamon rub on it would be amazing. A big, dark... Um, Desserts would go great with this. Of course, you get those chocolatey notes. Um, once again, I'm a big per, uh, component of not necessarily going with the norm. So I, w I like this beer actually with a great pear tart would go really well. Um, cheeses, once again, the bigger caramelization, the better. But this actually holds up pretty well with some blue cheeses also. So you can definitely do this with a, a great Stilton, for example, and be delicious. We call this a... Uh a Belgian Imperial Porter style. You know, it's kind of a hybrid. But, uh, Ducker squab. Oh yeah, duck, duck breast will go really well uh, with this. It just depends how you do it. But yeah, you get that really nice rare duck breast. Um, Greg will never let me have this at the bistro. And we're actually there's a uh, law being passed this month. But uh, foie gras that would go beautifully for those of you who still live in a place that can have it. Um, that would go really nice. So uh, this beer is a, you know, it's basically a, a porter style. We use some dark candy sugar in it to make it more Belgian, and uh, we use some vanilla bean, some fresh Madagascar vanilla bean in it as well. And then we also aged it on some French oak chips, which also kind of accentuate the uh, the vanilla character and also give it a little bit of a woodiness, you know, that, that kind of uh, oak woodiness in there. So... 
Of course, this, it's a, you know, this is a, a dark beer that'll hold up pretty well, too, and it's only a couple years old. one of my favorite vertical epics. It's got so much going on. It's just amazing. Um, other things would be great stews, goulash, things like that. Any of those things would be amazing. But, yeah, no, this beer has so much going on between the chocolate and the spice and all kinds of characteristics. Actually, this year and the, the last year we're going to taste are two beers that are really exciting for me. Yep. Yeah. The idea is to the idea is to drink them all on on or about twelve, twelve, twelve. The ten has some chamomile. It's also got the wine the wine grape juice in it as well. Yep. So. I haven't told Steve this, but one of the plans for the Vertical Epic 12-12-12 is I want to do a dinner where I pair all 10 of the beers together and, and do them sequentially, and it's, it's going to be amazing. If you can get in town, I highly recommend that ticket. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I like the way the oak kind of dries it out in the finish. You know, it's got a, it's got a little bit of that molasses up front from the dark malts and the dark candy sugar, but uh, it doesn't finish too sweet. It's really nice. Yeah, the complexity on this beer is just amazing, and that's what I really loved about it when they did it. And, you know, I'm not saying it was the reason why I started in 2009, but, I mean, I was quite excited when they came out with this. I actually started six months before, but I was like, oh, cool, great new, great new vertical epic. Okay, we're hitting our stride with this one. Is that a question? Yeah. Uh, are you able to, when the beers are released, do they put it out of the style of the same music system great, or is there the, the uh, sales number to reflect a, uh, a uh, audience preference for one food in the first world or another? Not really, you know. Yeah. Okay. So the question, the gentleman asked if I think if if, uh, if I can paraphrase it, if we found that one vertical epic is more pop popular than the other, it sells more, for instance, or sells faster, that type of thing. You know, the the really the answer is we haven't made enough of any of them to find out yet. You know, I mean, it's we make as much as we can, but it's still so limited that when it goes out, it's pretty much gone within the first month of hitting the shelves, just because people know it's you know it comes out once a year and get it while you can and. Uh, you know, we fit it into our production schedule. I mean, this is, from the, the production brewer in me, this has been one of the most challenging series of beers to make because we, we thought this it was this great idea of, you know, one, one year, one month, and one day later. Well, this, you know, this thing moves right through your production schedule. When everything else, you're doing the same, you know, the special releases all have their release dates and brew dates and stuff, and this thing just moves through it and creates havoc with everything. I mean, it's just, uh... <laughs> so we won't be doing this again. Uh, no. <laughs> Oh, Greg, Ar I know Greg already has dreams for the next 10 years. I don't know what they are, but I'm sure he does. Um, there's a cult following that built up. So being a beer connoisseur, it's just, I, I don't know the actual numbers, but I would guess they, they sell even faster every year because people are more excited about it. I can tell you the, the most popular beer is the 020202, <laughs> only because there are a few hundred cases. And like I said, if you got 500 bucks, you can get one on eBay. So, uh, right. 
But they move really fast, and, and they're delicious. And I always get a case or two myself for my personal seller, so I'm quite excited about it. All right. Well, I think we should move on to the, uh, the last one. You know, we had some uh, debates about the order to taste these beers in, too. You know, I mean, there's some different different uh, philosophies on on tasting beers in a series like this. You know, you can go from uh, light to dark or, you know, which we could have done tonight, or go, um, you know, by alcohol percentage, you know, lighter to heavier in the alcohol. Uh, sometimes you taste the, the darker beers first and taste the hoppier beers last. Uh, so we just decided to do it in chronological order. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I had, he, Steve actually allowed me to give my opinion, and I, I thought, well, if you really want to do it flavor profile, you can definitely do the uh, the golden that we did second. You can do that one first, then go into the kind of darker, and then work your way up just like we're doing now. But he had a very good point. He said, you know what? It's a vertical epic series. Let's do it the way it was made and make it and show it off. And that's... It's, it's showing beautifully right now. And I think you guys are going to really... This this beer right here, Steve's going to tell you a little bit about in a minute, but I love this beer. Some people are like, oh, this beer is kind of strange. But to me, this was an amazing uh, marriage of using some great white wine grapes with a beer, a perfect example, and doing it. So, And it's from a local uh, winery in our area, so that... Greg was happy with that because it's local and sustainable, so uh, we did that. But it, uh, um, it's it's a fabulous beer. So this is the uh, 10, 10, 10 that everybody's getting. You got a question? I'm happy to take it. Uh, so this is uh, you know this was actually uh, Mitch Steele, our, our brewmaster. Now his uh, his inspired recipe. He used to work in the wine business, and he's always been thinking about we should make a beer with some some wine in it, and because we're close to uh, the Temecula wine country there near the brewery, uh, we've developed some relationships with the winemakers. So uh, we decided on kind of a Belgian strong pale ale and uh, used some white wine grape juice that we got from our neighboring winery to uh, add in the secondary fermentation. And uh, we also used triticale in this uh, beer, which is like a, what is it, a wheat and rye, kind of a cross between wheat and rye, so it's got an interesting malt character from that. And uh, because we added the, the wine grape juice late in the fermentation, it, it actually surprised us in how much it continued to ferment. So this is probably the driest beer that we've ever made. I mean, the, the lowest finishing gravity of anything that we've ever brewed because the, uh, the grape juice just kept the, kept the yeast going for a while. So it's, uh, it's really interesting. I think it's amazing. I mean, it's got this it, off-putting to some, but I love it. There's almost salinity at the end. You know, it kind of ends and you get this kind of saltiness, and it's just so fun because you get all these grape varietals. I mean, they actually used four white wine grape, for, four, right? Yep. I, yeah, four white wine grape varietals. Uh, what was it? Maybe three. Musket, Gewurztraminer, and Sauvignon Blanc. No Riesling? Yeah, a little bit of Riesling. You're right. A little bit of Riesling, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I like to say I taste it in the palate, but I saw the original recipe. Um, but so when you first walked in, the first thing they had was that oyster table. If you had this beer with those oysters, oh my God, a marriage made in heaven. You don't know, need any cocktail sauce, any vinegar, or anything. This is perfect for that. So this will go amazingly with that. This actually holds up really well with a lot of roasted birds. It'll go really well. This is a nice, a perfect beer for your, uh, and you can still find this in rare, better bottle shops. This is a perfect beer for Thanksgiving dinner too. 
It'll go really well with a lot of the different characteristics. A nice sagey dressing or an oyster stuffing, things like that. Uh, whether you like white meat or dark meat, this will go beautifully, but this is a really, really fun beer. Yeah, I get some of the wine character in the nose for sure, and the chamomile. It's, uh, there's a lot going on in this beer, too. And this one's about 9.5% alcohol. I think this one's a little stronger. Yeah, we're getting the, bigger now. Because of the unexpected fermentation at the end. <laughs> yes, sir. Dr. Bill. From Stone? Oh, well, it's, I have, I, I don't know, I, I always tease Greg because I go, I bet I got more archived b different vintages than you do at your home. <laughs> and you let me stay there for a week, so I looked around, so I'm pretty sure I do. Um, yeah, you haven't seen my wine store. No, well, you, you have, you, you're much better probably, much more in control than Greg is. But uh, I have 10-year verticals of uh, IRS, Old Guardian, and Double Bastard. Oh, that's out there now? Well, definitely every time one of those vintages come out, Old Guardian, Double Bastard, IRS, I recommend you purchase a case. Put it away. Drink one, enjoy it, hold off, and enjoy those. We also have a lot of other great beers. A lot of our collaborations are amazing. Uh, we do, we've done some recently that have been a little lighter, kind of stuff like uh, uh, Texas Brown Ale. That's a beer you want to drink right away. But the Highway 78 that uh, Stephen Mitch did with uh, Chuck Silva from Green Flash and uh, Jeff Bagby, ex from Carlsbad Pizza Port, they did a classic Scotch Wee Heavy. And I'm very, can I mention it? Yeah. I'm very excited that um, they picked up, I don't know, 100, 150 different Scotch barrels, and they've aged them in all these different Scotch barrels, and I think they're blending them. They're doing some single vintages. And actually, that's the uh, second beer that we're pouring our table at our table tonight is the, yes. the uh, what's the official name now? The uh, Green Flash, Pizzaport, Carlsbad, Stone, Highway 78, yes. Scotch Ale, aged in Scotch whiskey barrels. It's at our... People are probably drinking it already, and we're not even there. Is that the uh, blended, or is that the Glenn Levitt single? No, this is the blended. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so they blend it. It's so like a whiskey. Yes, sir. I've uh, seen some book about going into some problems with the regulators, trying to make, uh, you know, more honey need, or combined, you want to like it, and all of a sudden they just say, no, 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 you're going wine, you can't do it, or they try to pass them a different way. Did you have any problems with this one? You know, we did not. I mean, we, you know, like I said, we had the winery uh, extract the grape juice for us, and we basically, they shipped us the grape juice, and we added it in the secondary fermentation, and we got TTB approval. You know, we have to do a statement of process when we're using unre unusual ingredients in a beer. Yeah, not really. So Exactly. It's still got those four key components of beer, water, yeast, a barley or grain, and hops. It's an adjunct. And remember, with craft beer, the definition for adjuncts is something that improves the flavor. For mass-marketed beer, or as Greg likes to call it, fizzy yellow beer, it's something that dumbs down the flavor. So adjunct's kind of this double-edged sword. So wine is just like anything else. When, but remember, there's they all do fermentation process. So wine is grapes, historically. Spirits start out like beer, and then they're distilled. And then you've got mead, which is basically honey-based. So if you... 
Right, exactly. So, yeah, it's called the residual hangover is what it's called. Um, I love mead, but I, every time I drink too much, I'm in trouble. Um, but, yeah, so if the main component, if you're making a mead at a brew pub, you will run into that. But if you're making a beer with a little bit of honey or a little bit of grape, uh, then, or you're aging it in a spirit barrel, so you're picking up some of the nuances from bourbon or rum, it's perfectly fine. sorghum or something to get around it. Yeah. yeah. That's called a mead with a little bit of grain in it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, uh, we have gluten-free beer at the bistro. It's called wine. Uh, I, I refuse to carry uh, those, although there's some really nice ones now, but historically, it's a lot of them have been rough. But there's some really amazing ones that are starting to come off, so I'll have to revisit that. But that's my line always. Uh, yeah, you, you, you want right. some gluten-free? Try some great wine. As we, are, as we wrap it up here, I want to do a little informal poll. So I want you to raise your hand as I talk about the vintage and see, see who's, uh, who liked which one best. So the 2006, is that their favorite? Anybody? We've got a few folks. Yeah. All right. 07? All right, lots of 07 fans. 09? Wow, it's pretty split up. That's cool. 10, the 2010? You can't vote twice, sir. I'm sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hey, I wanted to say thank you for all coming out tonight. Thanks to uh, Spencer and the BA for inviting us this evening. This was really fun. And uh, a little preview of the uh, the epic vertical epic tasting that we're going to have in sometime in December. So uh, enjoy. Enjoy, Saver. Hope to see you down at our table down there, too. Thank Cheers, you. everyone. Thank you for listening to the Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us in iTunes or go to our website, craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information. 